Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group. The weakest link could just be information. What we didn't have was a full understanding of our landscape and a level of coordination and collaboration that we actually believe could help move the needle in strengthening our cybersecurity stance. Mapping the path to good decision making in GIS. If we're all starting from the same place, right, decisions are, are understood better. We make better decisions if we're, if we're talking about the same thing and there isn't confusion over the source. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world, as well as the latest news and trends ahead for the industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. Colorado has a new chief information security officer. Ray Eeps takes the role now. He, he was previously the CISO for the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. He takes over as the first non-acting CISO since Debbie Blythe left last year for a job at CrowdStrike. Major technology upgrades are coming to Vermont, state CIO John Quinn says. Quinn says he's expecting the legislature to approve $66 million in additional funding that will allow for an overhaul of the state DMV, a new ERP system, and upgrades to user interfaces on state digital services. Code for America will use a $100 million investment to launch a new initiative that helps state governments improve their social benefit programs. The Safety Net Innovation Lab will partner with agencies in 15 states and, quote, unlock $30 billion in benefits for 13 million people. Code for America CEO Amanda Renteria says the lab will make the nation's social safety net accessible, equitable, and easy for people to use. Kansas's cyber information sharing is in a, quote, different place in 2022, according to the state chief information technology officer. D'Angela Burns-Wallace sat on the state cyber task force that brought multiple sectors together. The state was also part of a National Governors Association Policy Academy, which helped accelerate its work in cyber. Cybersecurity is among Burns-Wallace's top priorities. She tells State Scoop's Colin Wood about her other key focuses. You know, I think, like many states, it's kind of... I would say the big three for us, uh, the first being workforce development and recruitment, right? Um, and, you know, I th- our industry, public, private, um, state, you know, local, trying to identify talent, trying to invest in our talent, trying to keep the talent, um, particularly in the current market, um, as a state employer, you know, we're always a challenge because we don't always hit right at market. We might be a little bit low, you know, we have other benefits. And so that is, you know, one of the main areas because for me, our staff and the strength of their skill sets is essential. So we've spent a lot of time looking at our workforce development and recruitment efforts and kind of trying to double down in some of those spaces. Um, And with that, uh, our second priority that kind of lends into strengthening and continuing to build that staff is continuing to modernize our infrastructure. Um, And I know modernization is, you know, kind of the buzzword right now, but there's just a reality in, in the, you know, larger public systems. We have a lot of legacy systems. Um, We don't always have the continuous level of investment in IT infrastructure that you would like to see. And so that right now we've had some really good support from um, you know our legislators leveraging our our budgets uh, across our agencies and really doubling down into that space of um, you know how are we strengthening that infrastructure modernizing bringing you know our technologies both hardware and softwares um, where we want them to be as we look forward in 
you know, how where the state wants to sit in five to seven years, making decisions now that prepare us to be there. And I think the third is uh, cybersecurity. And again, we're not like any other entities right now, public or private, where um, whether it's the current geopolitical events, but even before that, um, cybersecurity has been, I think, become a cornerstone of the work that we do. And what we have worked towards is it not being something that's separate, right? That it's siloed in one area and we talk about all the work that we do and then cybersecurity, we really work into how do, how is it interwoven into just the way that we do business, the way that we deliver services um, and provide services across the state to our agencies, to our citizens um, and taking, you know, both proactive and reactive measures, um, but trying to think strategically about work in that space. Right. All right. There's plenty to go into there, but uh, let's <laughs> uh, last year, the governor created the cybersecurity task force, which you're a member yeah. of um, mm -hmm. is making cybersecurity part of everything and not a, and not a separate thing. Is that something that you guys talk about or what is your, what is your, what do you focus on and how has that work been going? So the cybersecurity task force, um, the interesting thing is, is that it, it really, I think, piggybacked onto the work that we're doing from kind of like the state standpoint. Uh, the, the beauty of the task force is we were able to be, bring public and private, uh, state, local, um, you know, our businesses, our education, healthcare, uh, energy, um, various sec military, you know, intelligence, uh, various sectors to the table to actually take a very holistic look at the state of cybersecurity in Kansas. And so the task force itself was a little bit broader than just what we're doing at the state, but we then were able to match on to kind of the work that we're doing as well. The beauty of it was it, it lasted for about five months. Um, we actually completed a report and provided it to the governor with 41 recommendations and tried to put them into different areas and categories as well as um, kind of their level of, you know, kind of critical immediate needs like, you know, essential for implementation or uh, that this, you know, these were have critical impact for the state. And what the, the power of it really was having the stakeholders voice across the state, right? Different sectors and creating opportunities for collaborations. One of the most powerful things that we found was that there's a lot of work happening across the state of Kansas. We had a lot of synergy in different places. What we didn't have was a full understanding of our landscape and a level of coordination and collaboration that we actually believe could help move the needle in strengthening our cybersecurity stance, right? And so, you know, things like that, uh, again, workforce development and filling some of those gaps current and future for the state became part of those conversations. Um, governance. Um, became part of those conversations. So there were kind of many different areas that across from a holistic view, the recommendations identified. As kind of the state entity within these conversations, we will play a critical role in helping to advance some of those recommendations, playing a role kind of as that key collaborator or coordinator, not necessarily doing all of the pieces because 
when you do this type of work, it's never one entity, but it is about um, being able to see those synergies and use existing governance structures, right? Uh, use existing connections to be able to leverage in, you know, the industry with our higher ed uh, that had, you know, just kind of a whole pipeline of, you know, that next generation. So it has been some great work that we are building upon and trying to move forward uh, based on the recommendations that were identified through the task force. Right. And even though the the kind of work to create that report concluded, when something like the Russian invasion of Ukraine comes around, which a lot of state officials told us at a minimum prompted them to just look into it and keep a keep a closer eye on what was happening uh, given some of the threats against American infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, does that previous work prepare you at all for events like that? Do you like return to those relationships? How does, yeah, could, yes. you, could you speak to that? Definitely. Um, it actually, when you, for us, um, we actually sit in a space because we opened up some of these lines of communication, both for those that were sitting on the task force, as well as other partners and entities that we brought in. It has made the um, ability to share information um, and to leverage resources, I would say, tenfold, right? Because it's not that we are trying to reach people or figuring out who needs information or who has information, we've started already to build and coordinate those conversations. So as we are getting things, whether it's from, you know, um, CISA or other resources, we're making sure that we are pushing that out through kind of these uh, kind of coordinated channels that we've already had. The other day there was a uh, my public affairs team, you know, a, a webinar, um, and I can't remember who was hosting it, it might have been CISA, but it was a webinar that was coming up and we immediately pushed it out to the task force and said, we need you to push this out to your networks. It's open to any, you know, any public entity to be able to sit in and listen and to get a kind of an up-to-date brief briefing of kind of the geopolitical situation. So we've already tapped into those in terms of being able to share information, most importantly, um, but some of the other work that is is starting, and this kind of gives us a little bit of a push, is trying to strengthen kind of the that reporting, right? That idea of, and I think this even came out uh, federally, kind of that encouragement of when something is happening, report it, right? Let other people know that you're seeing this type of activity and being in a space right now where we want to do that and to readily report. I think I, I saw something, I think it was yesterday from CISA that was saying like, here are the things you should be reporting. Here's where you should be reporting how they're circulating that. Like we're leveraging into that so that if we are seeing any type of activity that we're trying to ensure across the state that we are sharing that in a way that we can be proactive and leverage some of our resources into it accordingly. And I can say um, it's a, a pro, it's, it is a different place than we were, say, a year ago in that level of communication and coordination. Right. All right. Uh, backing up a little bit back to mm -hmm. IT modernization. Uh, every state is kind of in a different spot when it comes to that. No one is not modernizing. But <laughs> where are you guys? How would you sort of characterize where you are and where you want to be? And how is that going? Mm -hmm. What I will say is that I think we are in um, a good place, but there's always opportunity to gain. 
we have had a number of kind of wins over these last few years, again, both in investment in um, state resources as well as, uh, you know, various partnerships. And I think where we are right now is that we're trying to, to work to have a really clear roadmap of where we feel the state needs to be, right, in 10 years, and then walk that back to say, what are, where do we, what do we look like in five to seven on that road to 10? And what are the decisions we need to make in the next 18 months to, you know, three years that help us get to the five to seven that prepare us to be ready for where the state needs to be in 10, right? And so it's kind of a short game, long game. And part of that, as you know, as you think about modernization and legacy systems, it's not always as easy as we're gonna go from this system all the way to X, Y, and Z because we've missed a few steps in the middle and there's additional work that has to be done to get us from our current state to what our future state is. And so a lot of our work right now is more on the strategic side of we, we have kind of a, a directional view, but we want to double down into that. What do our agencies need? What are the skill sets? You know, what are you know the technologies that are in our path? What does that larger architecture look like for the state that helps you know kind of define the direction that we're going in? Um, the fun part, I'll be honest, is right now everybody's kind of hands in and kind of you know head down in there, being a part of that conversation, saying, "Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Here's where my agency is going, and this is what we're seeing on the horizon." Horizon. And uh, we work, uh, have, we publish a, a three-year IT strategy annually, um, and it is mandated by our legislature. I'm sure many others have something similar where they want a, a three-year plan every year just published. We've worked for that not to be just a reporting requirement, but have really worked across our agencies to use that as a really strong tool to give us a kind of that sketch of the roadmap of where the needs are, um, for our agencies, for the citizens and the services that they're going to be delivering so that we can then take a step back and say, now, what does the foundational infrastructure need to look like as we begin to help build towards where we know our agencies and citizens need us to go to be able to support them? So, you know, what I like to be a little bit further, probably, but I tell you, um, I always say that if you take time and you build really strong, clean strategy as your foundation, that will carry you further than simply hopping in and just doing and going. And that's where we are right now. We have done a lot. We're in a really good place. And now we're taking a step back to make sure we have a clear and a coordinated direction as we start to put the state where we know it needs to be in the next 10 years. All right. I want to go back to the first thing you mentioned. Have you workforce? So have you have you figured anything out that other states might want to know about and like a magic way to make everyone want to work for state government? Not yet. No. However, no. <laughs> what I will say is, um, so the interesting thing is uh, part of my background uh, besides federal and state government uh, is also partially in higher education. And so I am a, a deep believer in um, development and pipelining. So I will say two of, and, and, and it's not like unique, it's it's not even necessarily, you know, kind of groundbreaking, but it's kind of the fundamentals, right? 
And we're trying to double down in that space, right? And so this idea of doubling down into investing and developing our current staff and their skill sets and what's available to them from standing up a, a, a learning management system across the entire state and ensuring that we're then providing a new and an additional level of training opportunities, looking for ways that we can be creative to help our staff think about career ladders with those training opportunities and certifications and put some guarantees in there where, you, you know, kind of the state puts some in, the, the employee puts some in, and we both get something out on the other side of that as they progress. And so that development of staff, that investment in staff, that building of skill sets is something that it's foundational, but truly being intentional about it, uh, being strategic about it is a place that I really do feel that we are going to have some gains to keep the strength of the current staff that we have. And then we're coupling that with pipeline efforts. And so in this space, um, strengthening our partnerships with um, not just our higher ed partners, but also our community partners. We are looking for traditional college age students, but I'm also looking for mid-career professionals that are looking to make a career change. I'm looking for adult learners who are going back and completing certificates and degrees. And we're building partnerships with entities in our communities, the community colleges, the tech colleges, the four-year institutions, but also nonprofit and community-based organization, training organizations that are training individuals in IT so that we're not just throwing out our jobs and saying, here's our job listings. We're sitting down and creating partnerships with them to say, here's what we're looking for. As your students are coming out, as your participants are coming out, let's make some matches. Let's, let's, let's actually do some formal relationships. We just uh, relaunched a, a internship office for the entire state of Kansas. Uh, and um, we'll be opening up an internship portal in the next uh, week or so for all interns. But our IT internships are a key and critical piece of what we're putting out there, trying to pipeline more individuals into working for us early, getting exposed to the work that we do, and hopefully being able to bring some of them on as a professional staff. So not necessarily you know, new, exciting, but the things that we know are tried and true and that work in building and developing and retaining our staff. D'Angela Burns Wallace, Kansas's Chief Information Technology Officer, speaking with StateScoop's Colin Wood. You can read more about Burns Wallace and cybersecurity in today's show notes and at statescoop.com. I'm Jake Williams, host of StateScoop's Priorities Podcast. Next week on the show, San Jose Chief Innovation Officer Clay Garner joins us. You can subscribe to the podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. The National States Geographic Information Council has a new executive director. John Jordan is the new leader. He comes to the GIS-centric organization from the Pennsylvania Academy of Family Physicians and will oversee the organization's staff and advocacy efforts. StateScoop's Colin Wood talks with NISJIC President Jenna Levier and Interim Executive Director Dan Ross about where their organization is right now as Jordan takes the helm. It's a really important time for NISJIC. We're super excited. Um, while we're in transition, um, we're still focused on on the things that bring meaning to the states um, and our citizens. You know, we as an organization, um, we're really focused on collaboration at the leadership level, um, providing support for our states for geographic information exchange, 
um, supporting states in achieving their priorities and representing their citizens well. Um, we really want to support GIOs in their own development as well. So our committees and our activities are centered around that and the top geospatial issues of, of the day. Um, so, you know, it, this question kind of goes hand in hand with the previous question on the transition, right? How are we shaping our priorities and how are we bringing John into the fold? So part of that transition, we've been really deliberate and thoughtful about how we move forward successfully. During the next month with Dan on board too, um, we're going to have a strategic planning retreat with the board and our staff, John and Dan, the presidents of NISJIC, and we're going to spend a concentrated time really reviewing where we're at and talking about where we want to be and how we get there and setting up John and the staff for success for implementation of that so that we can have those discussions that we need and kind of uninterrupted time to, to work through those details. So some of the things that are going to come out of that are planned for the next two years and then beyond, right? We really focus on being prepared but not predicting the future. So we're looking at like 36 months typically um, because of the transition, we've kind of shortened that to make sure that we're addressing the needs of our members today. So we're gonna talk about things like our committee presence and, and what we're doing within the committees to really be effective in our approach. Um, we're gonna be talking about, yeah, I guess a good example of the committees is our, our next gen 911 initiatives and what all of our states are going through with implementation of, of the next generation of 911 with geospatial supporting it. That's a big deal um, and will make a big difference to our citizens. Um, you know, we're actively involved with COGO and assessing the NSDI. I think our, I think your, your uh, readers already are aware of the geospatial maturity assessment one of the kind of the flagship things that we really spend a lot of time on and what that is is an assessment of geospatial maturity in each of the states and it breaks it down into state-led themes and federal-led themes and this is all the framework data right that builds the NSDI so it's an assessment that allows the states to evaluate using their their experts in their state evaluate where they're at, where, where are they at with addresses? Do they have statewide addresses? Are they available um, to help with economic development, et cetera? Parcels are another thing, you know, where are we at with our elevation data? Not all states have LIDAR and high resolution elevation data to make good decisions for natural disasters and situational awareness, planning, et cetera. So where are we at and how can we support them? So it's interesting because the, the COGO report that we contribute to is, is gonna jump off of what we've established for the GMA. Um, they're gonna take our questionnaire and, and alter that to, to fit the needs of, from a national perspective, but it's a really good place to start, right? Um, we just put out our GMA assessment for 2021, and it really shows where we're at as states and, and where we're at as a nation um, in our maturity. So there's places for opportunity for improvement. You know, there's places where people, well, where states are doing really, really well and can be a leader and an example for other states. And that's 
that's a big part in ISJIC, right? We, we're always better together. So if we can help each other and learn from each other and not make the same mistakes when we started out, right? That, that makes us stronger and that builds on the NSDI, which is what's gonna help all of us in the end. Right. Uh, let me ask you a question about the maturity assessment. If I remember right, you added grade letters in the most, was it in the most recent report that you added those? It was the one just previously. Oh, we the started one previously. Okay. But it's, yeah. it's relatively new. So um, did that prompt any kind of reaction from states in terms of, I know that kind of things, governors, for example, can be very competitive. So if they don't get a great grade, I mean, was that part of the the motivation there to get people to do stuff or what was the, what was the thinking with that? Yeah, I think it's twofold. And I think, you know, the report card method really gives us a quick at a glance look at where we're at, where we need to improve. And, and it makes it easy for a, a busy leader to understand where resources are needed and, and to also understand where we're excelling in states. Um, so I think it was more or less a tool um, intended to make it easier to understand, make the information more accessible. It also helps us to have the conversations in our states, right? This is really where we need to work and what can we do to, to make this better? So it's a, it's a concept that outside of our industry is understood, you know, an A versus a C we don't have to explain that, but maybe we need to, you know, it gives us a, a quick way into the discussion on what we can do to make it better. I would say one thing we did different for the 2021 report was that we spent a little bit more time doing analysis on the individual topics rather than just focusing on the individual overall grade for each state. Uh, you'll see another document out on our webpage that really digs into how we look across the national view for perspective kind of as we compare each theme across the states. And I, I think that helps states to understand not only where they are in terms of their overall grade with other states, but where they are in terms of each grade on each theme across the board, so they can see where the other states are. And you're right, there are there are uh, governors do compete about some of that stuff. So uh, one of the things we're uh, going to be doing is, is reaching out to uh, the leaders in each state in terms of their top officials and sharing some of that information directly with them. Right. Jenna, you mentioned the data infrastructure briefly. That was kind of, for a while at least, was a top priority for a lot of people, it seemed like. Is that still the case? And how far off are we from a point where that's in place and people are you know, more or less satisfied with what that looks like? You know, I would say it's a work in progress, right? Still absolutely a priority because having that framework in place is going to help decisions across the board. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to steal a soundbite from my past president, Frank Winters, but some things, some challenges that come, right, because we're all about problem solving. Some things are easier to solve at the national level than they are at the state level. Um, you know, addresses is a really good example. Um, many of our citizens experience our work through their phones, right? Their experience is going to be way better if they're working with authoritative data, the most authoritative data that they can get a hold of. 
their decisions are going to be better, whether or not they travel on a road that has a bridge that's too too low or not, work zones, all of those things are going to be able to make better decisions. So where that starts is consuming the data from the states, the authoritative data from the states. Um, I would say that we have room to grow and we definitely are working towards a more stable um, national data spatial infrastructure um, and more complete, but we're not there yet. Um, we are actively working together to make that something strong um, and something reliable that has authoritative data from the states. I think that's going to help us moving forward on all fronts. If we're all starting from the same place, right? Decisions are are understood better. We make better decisions if we're if we're talking about the same thing, and there isn't confusion over the source. Um, our elevation data is another is another thing, right? That's needed across the board. So we're working on it. Um, I would say it's still a priority, um, will be a priority in the future. We want it to be the best that we can so that we can support our states best and our, ultimately our citizens. Arizona Deputy State Cartographer Jenna Levier and Interim NISJIC Executive Director Dan Ross. You can read more about NISJIC and GIS on statescoop.com and in today's show notes. The Priorities Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you haven't already, please leave a review and or rating on the podcast page. That makes it more likely that people like you will find the show. The show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped put the show together. The entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm your host, Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.